Hello and welcome to DisruptX, a virtual talk show conceptualized by Missonica. Continuing with our impact series focused on how technology is driving societal changes to build an agile, inclusive and sustainable world for the future generations. Today we will talk about the future of femtech or female technology a phrase that was coined as recently as 2016. A market that's set to touch the $103 billion mark globally by 2030, from $51 billion in 2021, while regionally the industry is projected to touch $3.8 billion by 2031. But what exactly is femtech? Femtech refers to technologies that are focused on women's health and well-being and solutions that are transforming the way women access healthcare. And today we have some stellar women as panelists on this episode who are driving real on the ground changes. On that note, Allow me to welcome Chanda Lokendra Kundnane, founder of Lizom Care, an organic and chemical-free femcare brand. Joining us also is Dr. Geeta Manjunath. She is the founder of Nirame Health Analytics, a very unique breast cancer screening solution. We also have with us Mashal Wakar, a very, very strong voice from the startup ecosystem. She's been part of a femtech, a venture-backed femtech startup. A very warm welcome to all of you to Disrupt X. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, it's nice to be here. Thank you for having us. You know, we've seen, it's a no-brainer. We've all seen how there's been a very steep rise in femtech uh, concepts and solutions and startups over the past few years, given that the, uh, you know, the phrase itself was coined as uh, recently as 2016. And I thought that would be a good starting point for our conversation today. And um, I would like to start with you, Dr. Geeta. Uh, if you could uh, please share some really inspiring and meaningful tech-driven changes that you've seen in the femtech landscape over the past maybe 12 to 24 months. Yeah, first of all, it's uh, great to be on this uh, panel of uh, wonderful women and uh, also an excellent topic to discuss. Um, so basically, uh, particularly in healthcare, Right, uh, femtech is seeing a lot of changes. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, you know, because of the COVID and and kind of learnings on that uh, in that phase, uh, we've seen telehealth to be one major, uh, uh, you know, innovation and uh, like a drive that has uh, started, and with uh, tens to hundred times more patients feeling comfortable doing telehealth. While it's not purely femtech, but clearly a lot of uh, uh, females have benefited uh, from getting access to top uh, experts and immediate consultation for any um, any disease, uh, be it uh, you know a little bit uh, uh, you know where the 
person is shy to talk about it yeah. as well. So any type of uh, disease can be talked about. I think this is a global trend, uh, particularly helping a lot of women. Uh, but focusing more on technology, which is particularly uh, looking at female problems. I feel uh, in cancer detection, there is a considerable development. You know, of course, we, we at Niramaya are working on breast cancer screening, and we have seen many other startups looking at breast cancer diagnosis. How do we ensure that uh, new treatment can be uh, brought about using technology as an enabler and so on. Also in cervical cancer, where it is very important uh, to detect both of these breast cancer and cervical cancer, which are the top two cancers in women's health, both of these, it's very important to detect early. And how can we actually detect early stage breast, uh, breast cancer and cervical cancer? So in this particular space, again, technology-enabled solutions, uh, particularly using artificial intelligence and, and biotechnology-related uh, you know, enhancements and innovations have come in. And also we've seen, um, you know, the predictive analytics uh, being used for uh, period management, right? In a sense that, you know, um, you need to predict when exactly your monthly periods will happen. Uh, some people particularly have a lot of variations, you know, not very regular, but still it's able to pre, uh, you know, predict very, uh, very nicely and it's very helpful for women. And several other birth control related, uh, you know, innovations I have seen. So these are some of the top ones that come to my mind, but uh, each one of them are so important to make the uh, life of a, uh, you know, female really, really more comfortable, I feel. Absolutely. And also, I would think drive larger societal changes because, um, as you said, predictive analytics uh, in period care or in tracking uh, menstrual cycles, uh, it's so important because, you know, it's empowering for yeah. women, for young girls, because we've all had that one stray incident while at school, college, university. Um, would you like to touch upon a little bit on thermoanalytics, therm analytics that you are actually leveraging? Absolutely. It'll be a pleasure to talk about what we are doing at Niramai. So uh, particularly at Niramai, we've developed a new method of detecting breast cancer. So if you look at breast cancer, it is the top killer, top killer if cancer in 159 countries, it is the second in the rest of the countries. It's really a big problem where 2.2 million women get affected with breast cancer every year, right? Out of them, 680,000 women die every year. It's a huge problem. Um, actually, the silver lining is breast cancer is one of the most curable of all the diseases. But still, we are losing so many women. And that's actually an opportunity of, uh, for innovation and to save so many thousands of women every year. And that is what is the main problem we are uh, trying to solve at Niramai. So we looked at what is the method available today? What is the standard? It was mammography, of course. Uh, you know, it is the default standard, but it does have limitations. For example, it does not work on women under 45 years of age because uh, they have what is called as dense breasts basically, you know, more fibroglandular tissue in their breast. And also, uh, dense breast is seen in almost half of the women above 45. And it's a huge segment where, uh, you know, more than 50% of all cancers uh, happen. So how do we solve this, all breast cancer? Uh, so uh, we said, okay, let's not use x-rays or density differences to find cancer. We use a new method where we just measure temperature variations on the chest uh, using a thermal sensor. 
and uh, we convert this temperature distribution that we measure from off-the-shelf thermal camera uh, into a cancer report. So converting temperature distribution to cancer report is thermalytics, which is our innovation made in India, and uh, we've now uh, got you know, international ac acceptances uh, from uh, you know, rest of the world as well, almost like Europe, US, and the rest of Asia, and so on. So here, the key thing is that we do not depend on the density differences. We just measure temperature. Mm -hmm. And so any small abnormality, uh, we are able to detect using four lakh temperature per, per person. The AI uh, works really well. It's been yeah. fine-tuned over the last five years. It's able to generate the report. Another beautiful thing is that it is very privacy conscious. You know, you don't need to actually see the person or touch, mm. touch the person during the test. And it's, it's actually very, very important to be conscious about the feelings of the person, of, of the females, particularly when you're doing any of these uh, tests of private parts, you know, yeah. so that's something it can do. And of course, it's more uh, affordable, accessible. So it's almost like a universal cancer screening solution that we have built, uh, particularly using AI. It's very innovative method that we have come up with. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And while talking about uh, innovation, Chanda, uh, would you like to talk a little bit on how uh, these kinds of innovations are actually breaking uh, stereotypes, taboos around women's health? Um, and what do you think are some other barriers that need to be broken for uh, Femtech to realize its full potential? You're on mute, Chanda. Can you uh, unmute yourself? My bad. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, firstly, for having me here. And this discussion on the topic, how many ever times I speak about the subject, I discover new things. Every day there is a changing, there are changes and efforts being done in the um, in this section called Femtech. So first of the things, firstly, the simple way to learn why technology come femtech can help and why it is important to invest more in women's health is just to reflect on the traditional ways of managing women's health and what is considered important and non-important. So if you look at this simple way of looking at traditional ways of um, you know dealing with women's health, childbirth has always been important. Cancer management, yes, like rightly Dr. Gita said, it's very important because it is directly related to mortality and other things. Infertility has always found attention and max to max UTIs. You know, yeah. these are the things that have found a lot of attention when it comes to femtech. Now, disruption will happen when, we say dis disruption, which means that you are creating something new, which is mm -hmm. going to help a certain section here, femtech or feminine, uh, feminine health. So the new things that have recently come up and they have come up as a women need are things like, you know, uh, freezing your eggs. Yes. Now dealing with miscarriages, dealing with double subjects like periods. Cancer also, breast cancer is also, in a way, I feel that it's a double subject because of the place that it happens and there is less likeliness of women coming up and speaking about it unless and until they find themselves in a situation. Um, one of the things is pelvic floor disorders. These are the areas, what I have learned at this Lizom is that women in their key stages often end up turning to their closest friend or Google for answers for these important questions. Now, if they are coming up to Google, that means they are coming up to anything that can provide them answers online. This is where tech plays a very important role. Yes. They find solace in coming and speaking about the subjects 
on these platforms. So if these platforms, which we call femtechs, they come up with solutions that, um, that will help women navigate their personal health in a better way, this is what I feel is the role of femtech at this moment. Um, sure. And, and um, you know, there are a few questions like, um, will the birth control pill have any side effects? Where do I find answer for this? I'm a teenager. I Suddenly I have a flow. I know about yes. periods, but what do I do about these? So these questions are basically now answered in very innovative ways by the femtechs that are in this region. Mostly at Lizom, we are driven by uh, the products are the solution for the problem that we are trying to solve. And content and community becomes extremely important. And building sure. a community, building content on technology, I think that's the best way to scale up and be present at more places, if that answers your question. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And uh, I'll take your last point, scaling up, as my ne next question for Mashal. Uh, being part of the startup ecosystem and also, um, you know, a venture-backed femtech brand, uh, how do you uh, sort of see founders going beyond, you know, boundaries to think about models that are going to be sustainable, profitable, and will also s solve a lot of problems? You know, it's not so much about... It's not so much about the models that work as much as it is about understanding the problem and figuring mm -hmm. out how to get to it, right? So, um, so I, I obviously I built um, I built a startup with a venture backed um, so so that was a venture backed startup. But then the other thing that I also did was I, I was supporting um, a femtech startup in the U.S. as well, and that was more focused on women's health and communities, and, and was um, essentially trying to be a Reddit for women's health, mm -hmm. um, and. And the interesting thing is the one thing we found across the board, regardless of region, is that there is that lack of access to knowledge and understanding. And it starts very early on and it continues even up until 40s, 50s, like whatever age segment we look at, women have a lack of access to information about their health. And the sad thing is if, if we had this access earlier on, we could actually avoid, there's so many correlations. When we were doing research, we found out that for example, um, like women in the region, um, who are pre so they have a 40% higher chances of heart-related conditions if they have PCOS, right? And how PCOS is so prevalent, especially in this region. And so that was really alarming that such a, and, and we, we actually did this informal survey as well. Like we'd actually just be in a room and ask how many of you have PCOS. And uh, I remember at that time, almost every woman in the office that I was working at had it. And it was alarming that so many women around us have this condition but it goes untreated or it's not taken as seriously, right? And then yes. it's linked to so many more problems and issues in the future. And so I think the, fir the first part is normalizing and, and exactly like what Chanda said and what Dr. Yipa said, right? Like there's so many conditions that are serious issues, but again, um, understanding where we start these conversations. Um, a lot of younger teens as well. And, and the other thing we started noticing was that periods of like, younger girls have started getting periods at an early ages. Right, and so how do they tackle that when they don't even feel comfortable enough to talk to their moms and their sisters and their families about it? They're more comfortable messaging TikTok accounts, mm -hmm. asking about what to do and how to use these products than they are asking the women and girls around them. Like that's how bad the issue is. And this isn't just, um, you know, on one part it's the information access, on the second part it's access to period products. One in four 
um, teens in the U.S. are not able to go to school, it's because they don't have access to menstrual products, right? And so we've got this issue in different geographies across the world. And so I think more than the models that work, it's about understanding how do you get access and, and how do you kind of do this on a mass level, right? Um, and then how do you do it in a way that's easy and intuitive? Um, whether you're speaking, like the thing about tech is it's only as good as the users a lot of times, right? You can have the most sophisticated technology, but if it's not being used or if it's not being used in a way that's effective, that's a problem. So how do you make something very simple and very accessible? I think that's where it starts. Absolutely. And I'll stay with you on that point um, as, you know, adoption of technologies is one thing. But then obviously there, despite adoption, there are gaps, there are white spaces yes. uh, to be filled. What mm -hmm. do you see as those huge promises as well as pitfalls of technologies that are particularly focused on women's health and well-being? I think, so the problem is that a lot of times the problems we're trying to solve and the way to monetize them are two very different things, right? Um, you're trying to, if you're trying to solve a problem that's as simple as getting girls access to tracking periods and understanding that, right? Um, I think we're forgetting the purchasing power and we're kind of confusing yeah. different demographics. That's the one thing that I would notice, right? Like women who have started earning or are earning are going to be more comfortable spending on apps versus a younger demographic. And I think it also differs based on geographies. And so sure. um, I, I feel like that was one that was one issue. The other one was getting access. So it's becoming tougher to actually advertise anything related to women's health as well. Um, and the problem is with a lot of these algorithm changes that are happening, like acquisition of users is becoming tougher. And so a lot of mm -hmm. times, even if you don't have any sexual content in your ads, if it's related to women's health, for some reason, it starts getting flagged. And yes. so that was another issue that we would actually come across is that we didn't have any sexual or inappropriate content and talking about our health and just about honestly, like just fertility is not, a, you know, it's not inappropriate, but for some reason, a lot of these platforms have started flagging these ads and certain words as that. And so that's been an issue as well. Um, and I think that's one where um, I remember we had started posting a lot of um, content around period blood and what it means. And that had yeah. started going viral on TikTok, but then our, our content started getting flagged as inappropriate. And that was so surprising because this was very, very crucial information. And it was very basic information. It's not like we were giving recommendations on what medicine or anything that wasn't really right. But at the same time, it kept getting flagged and it happened over and over, which meant that this was a repetitive pattern. And I've yeah. heard other founders in the space go through the same issue. And so I think from like a platform perspective, like that's a big challenge. Um, on the other hand, the challenge is also getting getting users to use the apps again. So if we're gonna go through a phone um, route, right? Firstly, there's two issues. One is how do you like how do you make it simple enough that that girls would want to use it again? And how do you also? I think the other part of it is there's a general mistrust if the audience yes. is a little bit more sophisticated. Yeah. So recently. There have been um, breaches, not breaches, but there are some apps that were downloaded and used by millions of women, and that data had been given to other party, third parties, uh, and that was from the startup side. And so that's led to a general mistrust, mm -hmm. I think, and, and this is obviously for certain geographies, not every geography, but you know, there's that general mistrust that like whatever I'm being shown may not be as good for me. And I think that's really harmful in the longer term because if, if we break that trust, it, it, it's harder for others who, who actually are doing the right thing in the right way to build it up again. Absolutely. And then it leads to that, you know, lack of safe space where uh, 
people can come, people can share, and then it kind of snowballs and builds uh, a much bigger community. And staying yeah. with the... Uh, sure, Mashal, go ahead. I was just going to say, the other challenge has actually been on the investor side, and I'm sure... Uh, yes, Chanda we are going to address that. Speak to that as yes, well. In a, in, a, in a few minutes, of course. Um, staying with the Middle East and North Africa region, Chanda, if you could... Um, Tell us how prepared the region is for, um, you know, tech adoption in the, uh, you know, female uh, healthcare space. And um, what are the opportunities that uh, startups can leverage, you know, com a combination of technology, innovation and, uh, you know, trust and human factor, everything taken together. How fertile ground is the MENA for uh, femtech startups? Um, I think the answer to this question is extremely direct. If you were asking me to compare it with MENA versus any other region, then it would be a little more complicated. But here, let's start from where does the femtech actually gets the uh, interest of um, the audience? Okay. Femtech is a technology-based thing. So that means, obviously, you should have some knowledge of how you how you use the technology or you should have literacy for that in this region fortunately uh, especially in uae region if i would talk about the literacy levels are pretty high however that is not the only thing that drives how femtechs or how you can take help from the femtech or how helpful a femtech can be for the society there is less awareness about i feel that very less awareness Adding up to what Mashal said, that the awareness and the information are key to this success of femtechs, but there is very less awareness about how to even use the femtech to your benefit. So simple thing like a period tracker. Most of the girls would go on, log in themselves, track mm -hmm. the period. What does tracking period actually mean? Mm -hmm. What am I going to use from there? If it was only about how many days later my period is going to come, then that information is readily available to me because I have learned my period for last few years. Even a teenager could answer that question, but how to use that tracker to be able to understand your health in long run. Yeah. Uh, one of the things which I generally speak about is hormonal balance. Mm -hmm. Now your period, how it works with you gives a lot of information about what is your hormonal and gut health looking like. And all the trackers, they have information on how you can track your health, your, your weight and other things. These are taken on the face value. Weight means that I should not look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Weight gain or weight loss doesn't mean only that much. So how do you use that information to your benefit? And that is something I feel not only in MENA region, that's the challenge of Femtex. And then when you are unable to convert that information and use of information into a commercial entity or commercialize it properly, that's where the investor or lack of investor trust also comes in. I was once asked, and it wasn't an investor meeting, but it was a meeting where we were talking about investments. Um, I was in a panel discussion, not mm -hmm. me in, on the panel, but was on the other side and just asked question to one of these you know, panelists that why is it that there is less interest uh, among the femtechs? Why you guys are not interested in us? What can we do better? Mm -hmm. And his answer was very simple and very, very helpful at that moment of time. He said that when we talk about femtech, you need to understand that it should reflect what is the larger goal or objective that it is solving, how it is changing the society as a whole. If we say that it is going to change women's health only, 
we also have to reflect on it. If women health is taken care of, how it is going to take care of the health of society in general? So that link, if we establish, the investors will also be able to see the benefit out of it. So I'll go back to my earlier point where I said that uh, we should be able to use the information. So teaching women how to use femtech also is important. There's where the scalability, there's where investment, there's where growing in this in region or in any region, these all things can be answered. So you use the information and then you link it with how it is going to benefit the whole society and commercialize it. What is investor looking at? He just needs, obviously, uh, uh, more than the impact part of it. Of course, investor is there for investment. So what he's looking at is how do you actually make money for him out of it? Now, if we talk about Femtech as a solution, there is 101% chance that that proposition will definitely earn money because we are talking about benefits. Every benefit can be changed or converted into a commercial or a monetary benefit. This is where I feel that when we talk about what is the growth of Femtech in this region, how much we see it will flourish. There is readiness. Yes, of mm. course. We have enough of literacy that we all can understand mm. what is Femtech and make use of Femtechs. That is absolutely. Instead of being a fad, if it becomes our daily utility thing, daily use thing, then it will be fantastic. Mm -hmm. I would probably be very happy to speak about how Lizam faced different challenges, but this discussion or panel is not just about Lizam. It's about how we bring in women wellness and is this region at this moment ready to take up that challenge and is there an, are there enough of resources for Femtech to grow in the region? My answer to all will be yes, yes, and yes. We all are ready for it. We are growing slowly towards the goal, but I think that's the way to be. As we go forward, we will understand what are the different needs of women, health, or Femtech, and then we can move forward. Absolutely. Such valid points uh, there. Definitely uh, the region is prepared, but then as you rightly mentioned, there's need for uh, more education perhaps and uh, somehow connect that broken link. Yes, of course. I would not say even there is a broken link, you know, Rukata, because whenever I go into these, um, you know, discussions and panels, I see that there is interest of women mm -hmm. to be there. That means there is a link. We are interested. We are really interested in our wellness. We've seen through all the changes that have happened in the society for last few years. Mm -hmm. I'll give you one simple example. And this one I have recently started quoting up. Um, you know that tissue paper is free in every single washroom. Yeah. Why is sanitary pad not free? Absolutely. Leave alone free. Why is sanitary pad not available, available in every single washroom? Is this less of a necessity? So once we start voicing up that these are our necessities and we understand the importance, I understand the importance of having a pad at a certain point of time mm -hmm. so that I am not uncomfortable. I don't have to hunt for it. If I'm aware of it, I speak about it. And then there are people who will develop solutions around it. So that's just, I, this, I look at it like as a base ground, very simple thing, but then this should be taken up. There are many countries now they have started giving free sanitary pads or period care products in their washrooms. I'm saying if not free, at least make it available. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for uh, sharing this, uh, you know, thought provoking example, I would say. 
Um, and, and on that note, I'm going to move over to you, uh, Dr. Geeta. Uh, yeah. You know, per using technology to personalize uh, certain uh, solutions for women, keeping in mind cultural sensitivities and uh, aligning that with medical practice-based uh, sort of elements, is that happening because that is something that will lead to sort of more outcomes for uh, femtech-based uh, entities. Do you see that happening in India and beyond? Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, actually, I want to combine the question you asked with uh, the previous question about MENA region, right? You know, where a privacy-sensitive or uh, personalized, uh, you know, solution is available. Um, for example, in MENA, right, MENA region, particularly, we, we, we are available in UAE uh, as well. We launched it last month. And, and, and the amount of tremendous interest we are seeing in this is, uh, you know, mind-boggling, literally. Like so many hospitals wanting to provide this. And then we actually, of course, did a market analysis and figured out that though in UAE, and of course, uh, you know, Janta can validate, there is mammogram, which is available uh, free of cost uh, to many people above 45 years of age, uh, the statistics shows that only 13.9% of women are actually adopting it, right? Um, not may not be just in Dubai, but if you consider the UAE yeah. as a whole, right? You know, so which means that uh, almost 84% of women are not going for the test even when it is available to them right, you know, free of cost. And, and of course, it's a very uh, good established, uh, well-established infrastructure, healthcare infrastructure. So it's, it's kind of, you know, uh, I was there, I was taking COVID tests and I was so pleasantly surprised to see so many COVID booths everywhere. You can just take the test anywhere, any, and every 15 days you have to take, you know, you have that infrastructure in place, right? But because of the privacy concerns that uh, most part of uh, the, the the country, right? We we did uh, see that uh, mammography adoption is less. Whereas um, in in a solution like uh, what we have developed at Niramai, there is it's a completely no touch no see solution. That is, the lady enters, she closes the door and removes her clothes like a changing room. Nobody is inside. Nobody touches her. Nobody sees her without clothes. And she sits there for ten minutes and she comes out. Her report will be ready. So this is a super private uh, kind of uh, experience, which, uh, you know, we, we're getting a lot of traction from the community and, and women in, uh, you know, even inside hospitals. So this is uh, one aspect, right, you know, which uh, not just in MENA, because you asked about MENA in previous question, but it's something that is uh, making a whole lot of difference. And this is an innovation, right, where you have a non-touch, uh, you know, non-radiation based uh, experience. Similarly, in cervical cancer, I have seen so many innovations on self-sampling that is mm -hmm. you know you don't want somebody else to come and sort of you know uh, touch your again the private parts and pelvic region and so on so you you're given a small uh, stick kind of thing which is used uh, by yourself you know to do the self-sampling and uh, you're like it's a very simple way so that you know the technology ensures that the person the lady doesn't make much mistakes and then there's a small uh, something similar to the covid test you know you can do self uh, covid test similarly and then you put it in and this is an innovation and there are several around these you know coupled with the uh, hpv testing back in and so on and innovations on how do we control the operations operational uh mm. you know uh, issues around here so all of these are uh kind of uh you know women focused uh ensuring uh privacy personalization 
uh, in the sense of uh, making it more personal for them uh, is, is definitely there. But purely from a personalization standpoint, of course, we have genetic testing and others where you can even have treatments which are a treatment which is very uh, personalized, uh, you know, which, uh, which is generally available for both male and female. But yeah, you know, for many of the diseases we talked about, it's relevant to females as well. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And uh, we're at that stage where we're going to address the elephant in the room, <laughs> funding or lack of it in the femtech space, an area that definitely requires some attention. Uh, for example, femtech businesses in the MENA region accounted for only 5.8% or $1.7 billion of the $29 billion invested in digital health in 2021. And on that note, I'm going to start with you, Mashal, this time. Um, this space is sort of underserved. Why do you think that is? Is it purely uh, due to lack of interest from uh, male investors? Or what are some other factors adding uh, to the fact that there is uh, lack of investment into femtech? I think it's a. Uh... That's a, there's different reasons for it, right? I, I think as a whole, our, our region has been nascent, right? And so as a whole, I think we've been seeing growing investments happening. But um, in terms of femtech, I think we're just beginning to see some really, really great players. I mean, Chanda's one of them. We've got a couple of others and names that you're going to see recurringly. Um, I think my experience is based on conversations and obviously what when we were going through like a, an intensive process of, of understanding what investors were looking for. Um, it was interesting because a lot of them were interested in health tech, but then femtech is health tech, right? Exactly. And so there was that differentiation where for some reason, when you say biotech or you say health tech, it sounds way more serious. Why is it that <laughs> the, the minute you add fem to tech, it's not as serious or, or as big or as exciting, right? So I, I felt like there was a bit of a maybe unconscious bias that, mm -hmm. that I'd feel because of how conversations would go. I think the other part was, um, it depends if we're talking about the consumer side of, of femtech or are we talking about the purely technical side? Because there's a couple of reasons. Now, um, one of them is that I think there's not enough of um, an interest I felt in the consumer side and that might be because we don't have enough funds who focus on the consumer side um, or, or let's just say like the D2C side of things when it comes to the space, right? Um, but on the tech side, there definitely was interest. But for some reason, we're still not seeing enough investments. And so to me, it's always like conversations are great. Seeing people are excited is great, but where they're actually investing. And that's still something I have to see a lot of proof of from funds in the region mm -hmm. because I, I, I didn't. And we haven't seen that in the longer term. And it's not that there's a lack of um, founders trying to tackle this, um, but I, I will say that I'm still waiting to kind of see a big announcement about like an exciting femtech startup mm -hmm. that gets a, a lot of funding, right? Um, now, the other part of it is also, I think there is a lack of appetite for risk when it comes to this space. And part of it might be because we haven't seen as many success stories. Um, for the most part, what happens is if you see a certain trend in certain areas and certain categories have been really, really exciting in the last um, two years, especially, right? We've seen a lot of investment in, in, in cloud and mm -hmm. um, 
cloud delivery platforms, buy now, pay later. FinTech has been one of the most exciting spaces and you see a bunch Exploding. of funds focused on there. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Um, but that's, that's sort of been the trend. And so when, when you see something that's a little bit, or actually quite different from all of these spaces, obviously there's a little bit of that hesitation in terms of, do we want to be the first ones to really take that chance? Right. And I think that's been an issue, but I, I have a feeling this is going to change because we're seeing a lot of conversations, but let's compare this to the rest of the world where it's not like um, Femtech has had a bet. Well, I'm not going to say it doesn't have a better chance, but we're just starting to see funds focused on fem like women's issues, women's health issues and, and tech related to women's health just now in the last, I say, I'd say like year and a half specifically, I think there've been two or three funds that have specifically focused on this. And in the past, there weren't any. So we're just starting to see more investments in femtech startups around the world as well. And I think this is gonna now sort of pass over to this part of the world as well. It's only inevitable. Mm -hmm. um, I am optimistic, kind of like what Tanza said, but I, I think we just need more people kind of putting their money uh, where their mouth is. Sure. Sure. And um, I'll turn to you, Chanda. You were talking about this. You touched upon this uh, briefly. But uh, do, you, do you really see big changes happening in the region so far as funding is concerned? I'm going to come back to Chanda uh, once we sort out her connection. Meanwhile, Dr. Geeta, can you give us some insights from the Indian uh, femtech landscape? Do you see funding sort of hindering um, progress, funding uh, hindering R&D progress particularly? Right. So I think uh, it's a global phenomena um, that, um, uh, yeah, Femtech requires more um, more patience to get funding, uh, more uh, number of uh, pitches, I guess. Uh, not just in our case, but I've uh, discussed with a couple of other uh, breast cancer and those, uh, you know, kind of topics that when people are working on it, startups do, do take uh, at least 200, 250 pitches, especially in a Series B. That's what I, and then I said, okay, fine. There are others who are also doing anymore. Um, having said that, I think there, uh, of course, uh, I think uh, like uh, one of them mentioned before, I think, Marshall, that at the end of the day, right, you know, uh, we have to be very conscious. We, as in uh, Femtech founders, have to be very conscious, uh, uh, you know, that um, um, that we show the value to the investors, right? Show the value in terms of, uh, um, of course, uh, how the invested money would grow and uh, in multiple ways. One is, you know, market sizing, ensure showing the social relevance or social, uh, you know, actual benefit uh, from a market standpoint, um, opportunity uh, and, and others. And also um, the plan to attack it, especially when you have female founders trying to, uh, you know, solve the female problems, it looks like, you know, um, just uh, do it <laughs> for yourself type. So 
I uh, really have to show that there is um, there's definite value um, in terms of uh, additional ROI and things like that that come in. And also the plan for uh, scale up, right? You know, I think uh, where um, most uh, most of us actually tend to sort of um, ignore is that, yeah, why don't you believe? Because there is this other uh, women aspect that come in in terms of the confidence in projecting right. uh, in some facts which uh, another male founder would have actually projected the same fact in a, mu a much much more uh, confident manner and we know like where is that small uh, you know risk uh, which uh, which can hurt the uh, projections right so so that confidence in doing it and and uh, also the bias in the listener so all of these sort of adds to it uh, in the pitch itself and the second thing is uh, uh, you know, to understand the uh, depth of the problem, why the yeah. problem is really, really important for women, right? You know, to be solved for women. Uh, we require at least one female on the other side. Yes, you know, for breast cancer, it's slightly better. It's just uh, uh, some of the family members would have got affected by this. So they know how they've seen it in close quarters. Mm -hmm. But particularly when we talk about menstruation cycle and pregnancy care and all those things there is this you know you have to feel it to believe it right uh, the impact of it so that aspect can only be uh, i guess satisfied if, if uh, there is a female on the other side uh, in the investor panel and uh, that female has enough voice in the you know investment community or investment uh, you know vc um, company or institution itself so some of these things uh, definitely play um Yes, uh, you know, we have so many people who say, like, this is such a breakthrough, this is useful to so many people, and so on and so forth. But, um, yeah, you know, um, they say, okay, I will co lead, I'm looking for a lead investor, right? You know, who can actually put the, um, you know, put their money on it. And and once you get that, and I'll put you, put, put my money as well. So this is what I've been uh, particularly uh, facing in the last few months, a couple mm -hmm. of months when I've started pitching for the next round, because here, uh, yeah, it's all about ROI. Definitely we are showing it. You know, nobody, um, you know, women form uh, more than 50% of the population, yeah, right? Absolutely. And if it's solving the problem for them, yeah, it is It is big enough. Why do I have to show that it is also, you know, social concern? It is solving a problem for 50% of people on earth. Why not? Why is it not important enough, you know? So that is where it comes. I guess um, uh, we need to connect that up to uh, who is the payer and how is this uh, problem connected to the payer and how is it is impact the payer. Yeah. So all of these questions we have to get and uh, get, get clarity and show the clarity to the investors. But you do see things changing, right? Right. Uh, in terms of uh, people wanting to hear, yes. Um, yeah. But I think more can be done. Certainly, certainly. And um, on that note, we are going to move over to uh, our final segment uh, of this episode. And obviously, we're going to look towards the future and uh, what's going to drive the future of femtech. I'm going to start with you, uh, Dr. Geeta. How yeah. uh, do you see, you know, there is this whole thing where uh, Mashal pointed out, Chanda pointed out, so did you, uh, that femtech as a market is still uh, sort of uh, th there are disparities across the globe not all parts of the world 
have same access to uh, femtech solutions, femcare products, etc. So how do you see technology democratizing the space, um, also facilitating access to women in all corners of the world? Absolutely. Technology is the future of digital health, definitely future of femtech. Um, and uh, as you rightly pointed out, access to high quality healthcare is definitely a need for everyone and again, uh, for females as well. So in this case, uh, I, you know, I am very, very um, bullish about use of artificial intelligence-based medical devices in this space. You know, particularly I feel that uh, AI has uh, matured enough to be able to um, bridge the gap between um, the urban ecosystem and the rural or remote ecosystem, right? You know, where it's far away from the healthcare infrastructure and remote cases of villages, for example, uh, AI can be almost like um, uh, automated, uh, you know, doctor, you know, robo doctor mm -hmm. trying to identify people who need um critical care immediately, right? Mm -hmm. The triaging, as we call it, finding out who among these 100 people, for example, need to be brought to a hospital for a follow-up. And this can be done fairly well with uh, current AI methods. And we are doing that for breast cancer. Like with mm -hmm. no doctor involved, our system actually is able to detect whether somebody has a likely abnormality, uh, which is looking like breast cancer. And a healthcare worker, an ASHA worker, is able to do this, which is which is what an AI tool can enable. And in the urban ecosystem, it also helps in access because now uh, more people can benefit it, can get benefited from doctors' short time of availability that is there because now uh, the tool acts like a you know assistant to the doctor and and then makes the doctor much more productive and also in the telehealth case where the doctor yes. is one side and 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 the lady is other imagine a teleconversation with your doctor where uh, you say okay i'm having fever that this rather than saying i have used my thermometer this is the temperature i have used my bp meter this is my blood pressure and this is my you know uh, sugar level mm -hmm. and then you have the conversation it's a much more uh, personalized conversation same way you could have several of these point of care devices may not be in the village uh, every house, but maybe in a primary health care center. So moving the primary initial care outside the hospital, closer to home, mm -hmm. and making it more accessible is definitely the future trend. And their AI plays a huge, huge role, right? And um, so I think that's uh, that's what I see as future. And that's where at least Niramai has shown that it is possible uh, to make an affordable and accessible cancer screening device. And it also making it more accessible also makes uh, uh, female health tech or any of these devices more friendly to the user, not yes. scared of taking a breast cancer test because it's just, you know, in my neighborhood. If you have to travel 30 kilometers to take a test, you're always tense. Oh, what will happen on, along the way and yeah. coming back? So the closer home is also less scary. So I think it improves the adherence to this, uh, you know, some of these preventive care uh, devices that we need for females. Certainly, it's so important to not feel overwhelmed so as to take that first step to, you know, actually getting yourself screened, actually yeah. going and getting that test done. Some of us, you know, yeah, the whole yeah. process seems like so overwhelming, scary that, you know, you kind of step back. That's Such nice. a wonderful thing. Uh, Mashal, I'll move over to you. What do you see as those um, trends reshaping the future of uh, femtech? in the next, say, two to three years, three to five years? 
Um, I think integrated health um, is going to be a big one. And what I mean by that is being able to understand and, and just have better access to understanding your own body, what you need and the lifestyle and choices you need to make and the implications of those, um, especially when they're correlated to hormones, when they're correlated to your health, fertility, and all these other areas of, 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 of our lives, right? So I think sure. just sort of like how we use Apple Watch for fitness, I think taking it a step further is what we're gonna see is better options where we can use this information in a way that's, that's, um, that's more actionable. Right. And that kind of helps us understand what we're going through as well. I think that's definitely one. Um, there's a lot of work that's been done in the fertility and, and egg freezing and, and that side of things. But I think we're going to start seeing a lot of these, um, a lot of development in this area, even on an early stage. Right. And so I think that's definitely going to continue as well. Um, the third would be research, to be honest, mm -hmm. because I think in this region, um, a lot of the research that's been done is not with data sets that are that are done by you know with women from the region in mind and so that's another one that i think we're going to see more of is more research and data sets and, and just way more nuanced i think um results as well and i think that's going to change what a lot of um the end results are as well so i think that's going to be another one um and then finally i just think as a whole like just basic access to communities community development that's mixed with health and, and mm -hmm. femtech, I think it's gonna be another one because what we're seeing right now and what everyone is focusing on at the moment is there's a lot of talk around communities and community development. And for this area in particular, I think you need that sort of one-on-one -on -one interaction, but you also need to feel a safe space. And there's been a lack of that in the past. And so what we're gonna see, I'm sure is um, mixing up communities with a lot of these health and tech aspects. And I think that's going to become way more um, intuitive and easier to use. And it's just going to feel like um, you've got friends online that are just a lot more um, available and accessible, regardless of which region um, you're in. Thank you so much. These are such uh, valid points. And yes, I mean, uh, look, look forward to, uh, you know, a time when uh, femtech gets the kind of attention it deserves it might have come the term might have come late but the issues have existed and it's time that those issues are addressed and uh, femtech female healthcare uh, solutions and products and services are made more accessible in all parts of the world uh, while we lost Chanda in between, but it has been an incredible pleasure chatting with you all. Thank you so much uh, for making time for this episode. It's been an incredible pleasure, really. Thank you so much. It was thank a pleasure. So as well. Thank you. And thank, thank you, you so to much. our audience for watching uh, Disrupt X. Do send us your questions, feedback, and thought on our LinkedIn page. Do follow us, of course. If you have a transformative story, do share with us, and we are going to feature it in, in our Did You Know segment. Finally, I would like to thank the team Disrupt X, uh, headed by Upasana Barua, for always making these uh, episodes interesting and worthwhile to watch. Watch out for our next episode that's going to uh, be all about fintech. Thank you, and goodbye.